Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the snow this week. It's always nice to get that first one out of the way. That way we can get ready for all the feet of snow that we're going to be getting this winter, right? You know, sometimes when you come up here on a Sunday, you just, you feel the mood of the message a little bit. And, and today, I'm a lot more free, a lot more light, uh, not as heavily, heavily burdened just because of the topic of our message today. It's one of just great rejoicing. And I've been excited to get to this message for some time. You know, it's one that's easily can be understood and written on your hearts um, as we go through these types of things. But you know, again, I just I want to communicate as we've been going through this series, I had been in deep prayer of where to go after our last series. And the Lord has just led us to um, trying to understand the Holy Spirit a little bit more. What it means to live lives that are dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you recall, we started with um, who God is by studying his names, and we went to what God has done, looking at a lot of the survey of the Old Testament uh, stories, the events that the Israelites were to remember, and then culminating in the life of Christ. Now, as we go through um, understanding who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does in the life of a believer, I've been hammering home this teaching on keeping in step with the Spirit, how we are walking with the Spirit to get the importance across uh, because it is very practical for our lives. It's where many of us are in the daily grind. You know, where are we setting our minds? A mind that is set on the, the flesh leads to death. A mind that is set on the Spirit leads to life and peace. And we need to remember that more often as we go through our days. Today we're going to be moving into chapter 8, and we're going to spend a few weeks in chapter 8, um, continuing with this focus of keeping in step with the Spirit. Uh, we're going to read the first 17 verses today, so kind of breaking the chapter up over the next few weeks. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me in chapter 8. Uh, if not, they will be on the screen. Beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, and it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if you did not receive the Spirit, for you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us through your spirit today, that you would bring us great understanding of these truths, Lord, that they may be written on our hearts and lived out each and every day. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we start with that popular question. Whenever you see the therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? We need to understand uh, within chapter 8, it kind of changes the mood of how Paul is writing, how he's addressing the Romans here. Um, He's changing the mood from, as some commentators think, all the way back from chapter 3 and how he is addressing the works of the law. Normally when you see a therefore, you connect it to the preceding chapter or the preceding section. In this case, it would be what's written in chapter 7 and what we covered last week. But back in chapter 3, it says this in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And, you know, last week we covered the second part of that verse, and we hit that home to connect, you know, what's the role of sin in our life and how we need to understand that, how it brings knowledge, or what's the role of law in our life, the law in our life, sorry, and how it brings knowledge of sin. But when we look at the first part of this verse, how the works of the law, through those, no human being will be justified in his sight. Paul sets up this counter-argument to living life by the law throughout the following chapters. And he shows the struggle uh, of people who try to live and do more to be better in order to find justification through keeping the law. He gives a contrast to that style, to that belief, by living a life of faith. Those who have put their faith in Jesus as Savior, they have been baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. They have become justified by the blood of Christ. They are liberated from the evils of sin, and and they're set free from its power and hold in their life. They have been empowered to live new lives in the Spirit. So as he gets to the outcome of this change, he says then in verse 1, there is no condemnation. Now, for those who are in Jesus, we understand that the Christian life is to be dominated by the Spirit, not by the flesh. 
And we've addressed these struggles. We've addressed these different things in detail as we've gone over different passages in the last 12 weeks. We saw in Galatians where Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Last week in chapter 7, we talked about the things that we do or the things that we don't do and how that is lived out in our lives. But I think oftentimes in the middle of this struggle, we forget this simple truth that is written right here for those that are in faith. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a glorious truth to just sit with. And we could spend the rest of our time on this one point in this message. Condemnation from the law is done. Condemnation from the sin of Adam is done. Paul addressed that in chapter 5 of Romans. Now, condemnation doesn't mean that we won't face judgment, right? 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we will stand before Christ and give an account of our life as believers. But condemnation, where there is no condemnation, means that we will not be eternally separated from the Father because of our sins. Jesus suffered those consequences for us. He paid the price as our substitute. Our sins are paid for past, present, and future. As it says in verse 3, God has done through Jesus what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And we praise God for that. It should be at the forefronts of our minds. And I want to sit with this thought for a moment because we have a sin problem. A common phrase that we use in evangelism all the time to help the unbeliever understand their need for a savior. But as we continue to go through these, this series, I think that this phrase is equally important for the believers. We also have a sin problem. And that we are constantly dwelling on our sinfulness. We place the burdens of guilt back on our shoulders. And I know it's big in some circles to admonish um, feelings, leading your faith. And normally I agree with that because when we talk about that, it's, we're talking about those that are looking for those experiential highs in the love of God. But I think that feelings can go the other way as well. To where, to where it's not just about the experience and seeking that, but rather dwelling in the shame and the guilt. How the cycle of sin, how the enemy can tear us down from the places of truth and cripple our testimony. Where we're not walking properly tensions. They continue to come up within this series. The more that I'm in prayer over this, the more that I recognize them in my own life. Well, we love to belabor one point, one extreme, while we live in the other. We need to understand the tensions and where we fall in those things. So I want you to hear this today. Since you are in Christ, as a believer, there is no condemnation. Sin has been paid for. And that's something that's truly hard 
for us as believers to fully believe and walk in. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know ourselves. We know what we do. We know these feelings of, can it really be forgiven? And we bear that shame. We bear that guilt often. It can still wreak havoc in our hearts and minds to get us not believe that we're fully forgiven or that Jesus isn't strong enough and I have to go out and do some of the work too. We've talked about that continually. Stop trying to do more and rest in the grace that is one. But once we can grasp this verse, that we are no longer under condemnation, that it's been paid for, you begin to experience that freedom of Christ. You you begin to experience that liberty from sin, the freedom of, of being able to breathe, taking a fresh breath of air from the Lord, the burdens being lifted off of our shoulders. Again, tensions, it doesn't mean that you then have license to just go out and do whatever you want because you're forgiven. But again, it's the freedom to know that you are eternally secure in him, that you can walk differently because of that. Of course, on my part, there's an assumed understanding and practice uh, of confession and receiving that forgiveness as you walk daily. But you know, this this understanding of not being under condemnation has very real effects in our walk as we keep in step. You know, looking at verse 4, because of what Jesus has done, sin is condemned in the flesh, in the body, in the old nature. It's through Jesus then that those who are in him are fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law by walking according to the Spirit. Do you understand what that means? Do you know what that means as a believer? Where we are walking in a way to fulfill the requirements of the law. I mean, how do we understand that? You know, it gives a partial answer there at the end of the verse by walking with the Spirit, but sticking within the same book, in Romans 13, Paul says this, For the commandments, the law, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. As you are walking in the Spirit... As you are keeping in step with the Spirit, we are loving God and we are loving others. As Jesus sums up the law and the prophets with his greatest commandments, right? And we know love. Why? This is how we know what love is, because Jesus first loved us, because God first loved us. We've experienced that agape love as believers. We know the love of God. Thus, we are then able to share that with others. As we keep in the step with the Spirit, we love others. You know, Christianity is not about rule-keeping. Oops. Rather, it is about the Spirit producing fruit in us, in love. 
producing what, is, what was seen as perfect in Jesus. Obviously, we fall short of that. He does things perfectly. He's our model. He's our example. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, the power of sin is broken. The fruit of his victory lives in us, in those that are in him. Christ dwells in us by his spirit, and that gives us life. And you think about life and how God gives that, he gives it abundantly. And we praise him for that. We rejoice in that. We live rejoicing of the life that has been given to us, that the power and the control of sin is broken. And you know, just like in, in Galatians chapter 5, where, where Paul sets the opposing forces as he is getting his point across, the, the opposing forces of the flesh and the spirit, the results are seen in the mind and where the mind is set. That term in the Greek, um, it, it means to employ one's faculty for thoughtful planning with emphasis on the underlying disposition or attitude. It's talking about the attitude that we have to think in a particular manner. That's what it means to have our minds set. Those whose minds are set on the flesh, I believe in this context, is talking about the unbelievers. Um, They are hostile towards God. They cannot please God. Their mind does not submit to God's law. The fact that their minds are set on the flesh results in death. The contrast, then, that Paul sets up is very clear. Those whose minds are set on the Spirit live by the Spirit, and that result brings life and peace. Now, I love verse 9. I have to tell myself this type of thing daily. I mean, I know that this was written for the Romans, but when I look at verse 9, it's, and it's an encouraging verse for me to continually run through my mind because of the attacks from the enemy. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Paul is confirming this truth in their lives. So many times we can be attacked by the enemy and forget our standing. Forget where we stand with the Lord and be dragged back down into that guilt, into that shame, into that condemnation. But we see this contrast that he sets up between the flesh and the spirit. There's no gray area that is defined in here. And you can begin to think, well, what happens to somebody who might be in the middle? Who's somebody that might be kind of wavering here and there? You know, we can fall into the enemy's traps in our minds and we can begin to slide downward for a season. But Paul here again, as he says the word if, it's with the same force of since. You are in the Spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. Period. And it can seem like a contentious statement because there's no middle ground. And you can begin to ask, well, what does it mean then to have the Spirit? And based on your upbringing, based on tradition, based on your favorite pastor to listen to and what they say, you begin to look for evidences. How do you define that? You think of how some denominations say, well, you have to speak in tongues. 
in order to prove that you have the Spirit of God in you. Some denominations say, ah, confession's good enough. It's great. I always try to, again, tensions, fall in the middle and say, God's the judge. He knows the matters of the heart, not me. Every day is an opportunity for us to, to live for him as believers, to grow closer to him as believers, to walk and keep in step with the Spirit as believers. Because I understand the struggles that we face. I understand the hardships that go on in our mind. But you know, when we look at these verses, when we look at verses 9 through 11, there is so much hope within this. And that hope is found in Christ, right where it should be. It's not in me as a pastor. It's not in the translation that we read or the, the different traditions that we've been brought up with. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. That's where it needs to be rooted. That's where it needs to be grounded. Verses, let me just reread 9 through 11 here. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Since Christ is in you, don't believe the lies that he's not. Since Christ is in you, don't believe the enemy. Don't give him footing. Don't give him a place to stand. Christ is in you, end of story. You only think that you're on the middle ground because the enemy is telling you lies and you're going along with it. You are his, so walk in the Spirit. Walk boldly, walk firmly on the ground that he has before you. Walk in the freedom and the liberty that comes from the breaking of, of sin and the control that it has in your life. We don't want to walk in a manner that is defeated. Instead, we walk in his victory. That is how we interact and love those around us. Because we are victorious. We are on the winning side because of Christ. Again, things that have to change in our minds. We praise God and we rejoice in that victory that is won. And that he gives us life and he gives it abundantly. You know, as he describes the body here, the mortal body, how it's dead because of sin, our mortal bodies are fading away. You think about dead things. I think about strawberries that are in my fridge, how quickly they can get mold, and then that mold spreads to the other thing, and how quickly death can spread to those things that are around. Our bodies are fading away. It's dead. It's going to try to corrupt our spirits. But our spirit is new, given by the spirit. It is imperishable. It cannot be corrupted. It is life-giving. Let's flip the script. Because we love to think how quickly death can spread. How it can infect everything it touches. How quickly can life happen when it's infused into you? Something that was dead, all of a sudden coming to life. The breath of God going through us, his spirit and the power of God in us, the power that raised Christ from the dead. Shouldn't that be dictating our steps 
instead of the death and decay in this world? How are we walking? Where is our minds set? Is it on the flesh or is it on life? The life that we have should impact everything that is around us. It changes everything in a glorious way for His glory. Life and vitality come from the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And you feel and experience that life as you're keeping in step with the Spirit, as you're loving others, as you're obeying and putting your trust in Him. And we live to Christ. It's a change of mindset that we need in our lives, in our walks, to look at the glasses half full. It's how we need to be approaching our days as we go about them. And it says that we are led by the Spirit of God, passively, right? So that being led is not a work on our parts. It's not trying harder, it's not doing better, it's just being led. It's like a horse being led to water. And you know, even as I use that imagery, there's also a huge difference that we need to understand. The Spirit of God does not enslave us. He does not force us. So again, you think of the contrasts. Under our former master, under flesh, under sin, we would have that bit and bridle. He would be tugging at us to go in certain directions as the passions of the flesh dictate where we would go. That is the slavery of the flesh. It would cause fears and anxieties, burdens in our lives. But with Christ, he took that burden away. We're given a new master and the bit and the bridle are removed. Instead, we have his voice guiding us. He calls to us with his word. He appeals to us. Rather than forcing us to do the will of God, he appeals to us, get this, as sons and daughters of the Father. What an amazing, amazing thing. The use of the term Abba and Father shows redundancy to draw out the intimacy of the relationship that we're to have with God. You know, I'm not sure how much you know about the adoption system, especially back in the Roman times. Um, you know, in Roman times, if someone was adopted, they incurred all of the legal rights and privileges that a natural child enjoyed. Adoption is linked to justification in that they are both permanent standings before God. They are permanent conditions. The Spirit confirms this relationship that we have with God in our hearts and minds. He is our Father. In his commentary about this one word, Father, Martin Luther says this, This is but a little word, and yet notwithstanding it comprehends all things. The mouth speaks not, but the affection of the heart speaks after this manner. Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from his presence, yet I am his child, and he is my father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. Wherefore, this little word, Father, conceived effectually in the heart, passes all eloquence of the great speakers that were ever in the world, 
This matter is not expressed with words, but with groanings, which groanings cannot be uttered with any words or eloquence, for no tongue can express them. The understanding of that simple word, Father. As a dad, it breaks my heart that I do not show through my actions and words to my own kids the love of the Father more often. The love that can be only described with groanings to where they would know firmly the everlasting love that I have for them where they would believe it wholeheartedly and then walk well. It's a good sentiment to have. It's a desire for us to follow. But we understand how we do fall short in this life. Whereas the love of the Father surpasses all understanding, and it is perfect. It is our goal that we reach to, to try to imitate the love of the Father to those around us, to express that love. It's something that, again, we need to be more mindful of. You know, Paul, he lays out this movement of a believer's life in the last few chapters. How we were a slave to sin, but now we are no longer slaves. Rather, we are sons and daughters. And if a son or daughter, then an heir. Heirs of God, receiving an inheritance of eternal life, of glorification. And a co-heir, a fellow heir of Christ begin to think that's a little it's a little too much in terms of the titles right i mean same level as christ come on who am i to do that and we'll go over this verse in a couple weeks but if you look down in 829 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined predestined to be conformed to the image of the son in order that he jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, and, and again, I think for many of us, it's difficult to call Jesus our brother or a friend because it seems disrespectful. But as our minds are renewed, and as we are conformed into the image of the Son, we begin to align ourselves with the will of God, and we understand the, the depth of these relationships a whole lot more. You know, from when we're just toddlers in the faith to where you, get, you grow deeper in your faith, in your maturity, you begin to understand these relationships. And you see them clearly, how the glory is given to God. It, it's not about us. You know, we cannot be selfish that way. Grabbing these titles, grabbing these benefits, oh, I want some of this to... No, it's all for the purpose and the glory of God. That is what our lives are to be directed towards. And we get to be a part of all of that. And when you really think about it, it's a pretty amazing thing. For the sake of advancing his kingdom, he uses us, fallen people. It just shows how much he loves us, how much he desires for us, to continue to encourage us, to continue to push us to grow, to keep in step. We fall down and he's right there picking us back up. I think there was several times this week kids got hurt. 
still growing with that, still trying not to say I told you so. But again, growth, taking those steps in the right direction. When we think about the relationships that we have with the Father, with Christ, for the former slave to sin, right? We are invited to the dinner table as adopted sons and daughters. It's an amazing picture to think about. But through this message, I want to warn us we will never truly become or let ourselves be part of that family if we feel like we don't belong at the table, if we're still identifying as slaves to sin, if we're holding on to the old self as our identity rather than Christ and not truly believing and understanding that we are no longer under condemnation, that it's paid for, that that box is closed. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin. To gain freedom, you think about what a slave would have to go through. They would need to be freed by their master or bought by another in order to be set free. And that's exactly what happened to us. We have been bought with the precious price of Jesus' blood, and we have been set free. We've been invited to sit at that table. We need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit because the Spirit is in us, and we are no longer under condemnation because Jesus has paid it all. And we praise him for that today. This week, I want us to think about how we treat condemnation. Where are we setting our minds? Because the enemy, as we've been saying, is persistent. He will continue to try to drag us down. I'm going to bring in the suffering portion of that second half of verse 17 next week as we go over that. Let's pray for today. Father, as we, as we rejoice over this message and what you have done through your Son, Lord, I am in awe and wonder at your majesty, at your plans, at your purpose. Again, just in all humility, the fact that you use us, broken, broken people, Lord, to advance your will, to advance your kingdom, is astonishing. The fact that we get to be a part of it is so exciting. So I pray that you would give us eyes to see this week. Eyes to see those opportunities where we can be your hands and feet, where we can love others the way that you have loved us. That we would be open, that we would be bold for your sakes. And that people would see us and through us see you. Lord, we don't want the attention on us. We don't want the focus. We don't want the accolades and the glory. Lord, it is all for you. Continue to help us as we combat the strongholds that the enemy has. Help us to experience that forgiveness, to fully give those things over to you. And Lord, may we just praise you each and every day that you have given us. Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.